Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel 19. Look at verse 6. So Saul listened, but he didn't really listen. And Jonathan called David. And Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul. Hey, everything's cool. Dad, dad's good. Uh, he, he's, he's heard me out. And he was in his presence as formerly. Cool, everything's good. All right, yeah, I'm coming back. Give me my guitar. What are we having for dinner? The relationship was sto- restored for the moment. And when there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them with great slaughter so that they fled before him. Now, see the word when in verse 8. We don't know how much time has gone by, but when there was war again, so I wouldn't imagine too much time, but uh, there's a little time that's gone by, so things have returned to normal for a little bit. But when there was war again, David went out and fought with the Philistines, and he's won a great battle. But do you remember, this was part of the problem last time, because when he, when he slow, slew Goliath, this, remember the song, the hit song on the radio was, David has slain his... Ten thousands and Saul is thousands. How does it go? I don't know. Something like that. David had a bigger number. Saul didn't like it. And I think it's even true that uh, David's victory has probably fueled Saul's anger again. Because remember, it's envy and fear that is driving Saul. And there's no word that Saul's out to battle. Saul seems to be at home sulking about David and David's victories. When you get to a point where somebody else is fighting and you're at home sulking about the person who's actually fighting, you got to check yourself, man. And that's what the king's doing. He's not engaged in the war. And then when David wins, he gets mad. Now, there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul, verse 9. This will be the third time we've seen this. As he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, <laughs> he's sharpening it, waiting to hear for... <laughs> wonder what's going to happen. If you come into the house and someone's holding a spear or a knife, (laughs) I want to think again. And David was playing the harp with his hand. And Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he, David, slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he stuck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. If you were with us previously, uh, Saul tried twice. And he threw two spears. I don't know why David came back the second time, but he was having to move and jive a little bit. Well, he didn't come back. But the spear went into the wall, and God protected David again. And he tried to spear him. And the religious leaders cried, stirred the crowd so that the crowd would ask for Barabbas. And what shall I do with Jesus? And they said, spear him! Crucify him! Right? I think the imagery is pretty interesting. This harmful spirit that came upon Saul was being allowed by God, sent from God, because Saul was being punished by the Lord. He, in essence, was saying, if this is what you want, if you want to be on the other side, if you don't want to listen to me, I'll give you the other spirit. Here you go. And it even says in the last days when the Antichrist comes with lying signs and wonders that God will send people a, remember, strong delusion so that they believe the lie. 
God will warn and warn and warn, but at some point He will give you over to what you decide to do. And that's a scary place to be. This one's coming with the activity of Satan and lying signs and wonders. And God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. Listen to this, Second Thessalonians 2, about 9 through 12. In order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. They wouldn't, for the love of the truth, they would not be saved. They said, we want what we want, the way we want it, and God is going to confirm them at some point in that lie. Wow, that's a scary thing. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. (laughs) There goes the vow. But Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, and I I don't know how she heard about it, but maybe he told her directly, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. The wife, Saul's daughter, now both the son and the daughter of the king are trying to protect the anointed from, from the king. And she says, look, I found out my dad's planning to kill you, and they're watching the house right now. See the Cadillac out there? Yeah. You got to get out of here, man. He's given an order to kill you in the morning. I don't know if their home was on a wall, but this is reminiscent of Joshua 2 when the spies are let down by Rahab through the open window of the wall. You write down Joshua 2, uh, 2 through 15. And even Paul was uh, let down uh, by a window to escape persecution in Acts 9, 24 and 25 and 2 Corinthians eleven thirty three. And so she sticks up for her husband, and uh, she's going to put her own life on the line, but I want you to see how she does it. And Michael took the household idol. If you have the New King James or ESV, it says image. If you have an NIV, it says an idol. She took an idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt or a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. So she said, you got to get out of here, and I'm going to put something in the bed to make it look like you're asleep because I know they're coming in the morning. But what she put in the bed deserves some explanation because it's a household idol. What? David's the anointed one. How is it that a household idol is in the home of him and his wife? Well, I'm going to answer that in a second. And I think I've got a pretty good take on this, but I want to park for a moment and ask you this question. If I asked you what your household idol is, could you name it? Somebody said a refrigerator. (laughs) That's perfect. That's mine. I try not to bow before it, but I... (laughs) I didn't mean say it out loud, but if you want to, I mean, confession's good for the soul. A household idol. Now think with me. Saul's messed up, right? He, he won't follow God. He, he doesn't seem to take God at, its, at his word. And we saw some early promise, and then Saul just goes off the deep end. We've got to be asking, what happened to this dude? He was anointed the king. He was set apart. He, he got the Holy Spirit empowering him. What, what made him go astray? Well, where did his daughter get this from? Mm. Does this explain why Saul 
went off the deep end, he, w- he had a divided heart. And his daughter picked up his idolatry and put it in the house with her new marriage to David, the anointed one. Wow. Now, she doesn't seem to have a whole lot of regard for the idol anymore because if she's using it for a dummy in a bed to put a makeshift wig on it, she must not think much of it. Is it possible that David has shown her that an idol is nothing in the world? Maybe they haven't thrown it away yet, but maybe she's thinking, oh, I've learned better. This thing is nothing, but it makes a good dummy <laughs> to pretend that my hubby's actually home when he's not. I think that's possible. I mean, this, this is an intriguing passage, but maybe reading between the lines, it's not as bad as it looks. In fact, if you would turn to Psalm 59, I want to show you something that tells us clearly, and I think at least there's strong evidence here, Psalm 59, that David was not trusting in the idol or something that could hide him. He was trusting in the Lord. There is canonical tradition Psalm 59, expressed in the preface to Psalm 59 that explicitly connects this psalm to the present incident in 1 Samuel 19. If you have the heading, you can read it with me. For the choir director set to Al-Tasheth, a victim of David, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Everybody mark that? 1 Samuel 19, mark that in your Bible. Cross-reference it back. Psalm 59 and 1 Samuel 19. And what do you have? That David wrote this psalm at the time this was happening. And look at what he says. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Set me securely on a high, uh, on high away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity and save me from men of bloodshed. For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. For no guilt of mine they run and set themselves against me. Arouse thyself to help me and see. And thou, O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be gracious to any who are treacherous in iniquity. Selah. That's pause in the music. Stop. Ponder. Think about it. They return at evening. They howl like a dog and go around the city. Behold, they belch forth with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears? But thou, O Lord, dost laugh at them. Thou dost scoff at all the nations. Because of his strength, I will watch for thee. For God is my stronghold. My God in his loving kindness will meet me. God will let me look triumphantly upon my foes. Do not slay them lest people forget. Scatter them by thy power. Bring them down, O Lord, our shield. On account of the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be caught in their pride. And on account of curses and lies which they utter, destroy them in wrath. Destroy them that they may be no more. That men may know that God rules in Jacob. To the ends of the earth, Selah, pause, think about it. And they return at evening, they howl like a dog and go around the city. They wander about for food and growl if they are not satisfied. But as for me, I shall sing of thy strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of thy loving kindness in the morning. For thou hast been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. 
O my strength, I will sing praises to thee, for God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. David is no idolater. Uh Uh-uh. I don't know what's going on with this household idol, but David knows in whom he trusts. Go back to 1 Samuel. Maybe, you know, at some points in people's lives, there was some divided allegiances. I'll let you dig that out a little bit more back to 1 Samuel 19. But I think uh, David was impacting his wife, and I think you can see some answers there in Psalm 59. But I want you to just think for a moment, if you had somebody threatening to kill you the next morning, what would you do? Do you write a psalm? Would your focus be on prayer? Um, look, there's, there's a lesson here. There's the practical and the prayerful. Pray, write your psalm, but get out of town. <laughs> Ray Comfort, a well-known evangelist, said one of his favorite verses in the Bible is, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. It's a pretty good verse. Anyway, when Saul sent messengers, 1 Samuel 19, 14, to take David, she, Michael, said, he's sick. Now remember, she'd already put the idol in the bed with the wig of goat's hair, and now they come to the door. David here. They get out of the car. Already had a breakfast sandwich. (laughs) Now he's sick. Some of you can write that down because you've used that on your boss before. This is not biblical license, by the way, for lying. But Then Saul sent messengers to see David saying, okay, so they came back and they, something like this, hey boss, uh, we went to the house and we we're going to grab him, but she said he's sick in bed. <laughs> Can you imagine being the king? What? You didn't grab him, he was in the bed? Well, she's your daughter. She's royalty. I didn't know if you wanted us to force our way in. Go pack and bring the bed with you. I don't care. Saul has become so deranged. He said, I don't care. You bring him bed and all. Bring him, on, bring him to me on his bed that I might put him to death. Man, Saul is sick. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed with a quilt of goat's hair at its head. So they come back <laughs> and they went, oh, <laughs> shake the bed a little bit. It's not him. I don't know what the size of this idol was, but to pretend like it was a man, I don't know how, if it was big or whatever, but there's some differences of opinion. So daughter gets called into the office and Saul said to Michael, why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go? Now David was not Saul's enemy by his choice. Saul made David his enemy. And Jesus, if he becomes your enemy, it'll be your choice. He said, you're either for me or what? You're against me. But Saul made that decision. Why have you let him escape? And Michael said to Saul, now she's telling a couple of whoppers here. She said, he said to me, let me go. Why should I put you to death? Daddy threatened to kill me. So I had to let him go. I'll let you wrestle with the moral implications of what she says. But her life was on the line and her husband's life was on the line. And so she protected him. We talked about that before. And David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah. Now, we haven't seen Samuel for a while. And Samuel's the the guy that started all this, right? You anointed me, (laughs) right? You came to my dad's house. I was out in the field. I was doing fine. You started this whole thing. This guy's crazy. He's trying to kill me. He's got a contract on my life. 
he finds Samuel and Rama, tells him the whole story. You could see Samuel's face, right? Oh, Saul. I mean, he was already grieved over Saul. I'm sure this grieved him even more. But he wasn't surprised, I'm sure. So he came to Samuel at Ramah. He told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth. Naoth means dwellings. Naoth and Ramah. David's only gone about two miles from where Saul is. Saul is in Gibeah. This place is only a couple miles away. And the, this Naoth can mean the pasture of shepherds, which is interesting. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. Okay, I found out where he is. We got the intel. But when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and presiding over them, it's something like a church service, I think, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. So get this now. Son thwarts the plan. Daughter thwarts the plan. They used the idol to thwart the plan. And now the messengers find him a couple miles away. And they're going, and I'm sure they're armed. And I'm sure they're looking to do damage. And they come and there's a church service, an outdoor church service going on. And they start walking by. Hey, where's David around here? Hey, that's a pretty good tune. <laughs> Let's hang around. <laughs> Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> Learned that one in Sabbath school. <laughs> so the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them, and they're all prophesying. I mean, the word prophecy can have a pretty general meaning here. It can mean, you know, to speak forth, uh, to, uh, you know, there's, there's a way in which you could take the word that when Saul was under the influence of the evil spirit, he was probably saying crazy stuff. But this is the spirit of the living God. And Saul's messengers have come under his power. They've been stopped in their tracks. There's no mention of David, but Samuel's there. I don't know if David's in hiding, but he's presiding over the meeting. They stop, and they're part of it. And when it was told Saul, can you imagine being Saul now? You're in your office, just waiting. He's coming soon. I know it. Click, click. You're watching your watch. What's taking him so long? And they came back. Uh, I don't know who it was, but uh, the, the guys you sent, yeah, they've been part of a <laughs> three-hour church service over there. Samuel's leading it. So he, he got other people. And they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again a third time, and they, the, the service is getting bigger. They're all there. It's amazing. Three groups in all. The Lord is a shield to his anointed one. Nothing happened to Jesus until it was God's time. God shielded him. And then when it was his time, things occurred according to God's plan. Then he himself, 22, we're almost done, went to Ramah. He said, man, yeah, it's hard to find good help these days. If you want something done right, <laughs> you got to do it yourself. So he went to Ramah. He came as far as the large well that is in Saku. And he asked and said, where are Samuel and David? And someone said, behold, they're at Naoth and Ramah. So he proceeded there to Naoth and Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also <laughs> so that he went along <laughs> prophesying. Do you remember that in 1 Samuel chapter 10 when the Lord first tells Saul what's going to happen to him through the prophet 
that he meets the, this, it's a traveling group of prophets and they have musical instruments with them. Remember I told you about the whole traveling band thing? The uncle tells him what happened. He goes, well, <laughs> here's what happened, man. Well, all of a sudden, there's this group of prophets and maybe the same ones from chapter 10. That's why I think there could be music going along. And as he goes along, he starts prophesying continually until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And the Spirit of God comes upon him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to make sense of all this, you guys. All I know is Saul's prophesying, and he hasn't even got there yet. <laughs> but he's, he's picked up the tune. And just so you know that God has a sense of humor. He also stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and laid down naked all the day and all that night. So he arrives at the meeting, joins in, but before he does, he gets rid of a little outer garb. And he's there all day and all night. Therefore, the people, remember they had said this earlier, they said, is Saul among the prophets? Now, I don't know if Saul was literally naked. That was... Uh, a terrible thing in, in Israel. He may have had his inner tunic on, but what he took off was probably his royal robes. And I hope you can see what's going on. God saying, you're not going to kill my anointed one. He's the king. The kingdom's been ripped from you. Your son voluntarily gave him the royal stuff. You won't, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you under the influence of my spirit and you're going to take off the royal robes because I am going to make you. And then you'll be prophesying all day and all night. I don't know what he was saying. Maybe it was something about David's reign. Who knows? Quite a picture. One day the Bible says, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I think you all know that many of us have concluded that I don't know if that means that everybody doing that will do it voluntarily. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, thank you for your Love for us. Thank you for this incredible chapter. Thank you that it shows us that you can protect and preserve according to your plan and your will. And thank you that the anointed one came and Herod tried to kill him. And people plotted against him. And yet you protected him all the way through until the time that he would die. The greater David would die for our sins on the cross. Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Thank you that he came to save us. Thank you that he shed his innocent blood for all the mistakes that we have made. Thank you that you're no longer counting our sins against us in Christ, but you have applied his sacrifice and his resurrection to our lives if we're Christians. And we praise you, Lord, for that truth. Each one of us, Lord, who knows you personally, knows there's nothing better than knowing you. The power of your resurrection and even the fellowship of your sufferings, being conformed to your death. Help us to press on towards the goal of that upward call in Christ Jesus. Let us not be weary as we run the race. David was a, a man who was on the run for 20 years from Saul. He had to run and run and run some more, and he was innocent. 
Sometimes life is not going to go the way we expect. Sometimes we're going to be on the run and wondering why we're facing what we're facing. And all the while, we can take our refuge in you. We can read Psalms like Psalm 59 and know that you are faithful. We can call out to you in our times of trouble and find refuge and strength. Uh, despite what may be going on with our enemies or those who would want to hurt us, Lord. So we thank you for this hope that you've given us in Christ. And I pray your blessing on each precious person here that they would find renewed strength in you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've kind of been stacking some goals in these messages, we've talked about being filled with the Spirit and letting God fight our battles. We've talked about good friendships like Jonathan and David, sharpening our lives. And good leadership is, is something that's going to be shaped by challenges and uh, even Saul's in our lives. But we need to learn to let God be the one that ultimately we wait upon and lean upon. Another great goal for 2017 is just to be mindful to seek him and wait upon the Lord. And he will renew your strength. This is Living Truth Radio. My name is Pastor Michael Lance, and we have the privilege of being on this station, teaching the Word of God, and we appreciate your prayers and your partnership with us. We are offering a book for any donation amount to Living Truth Radio. Here's how you can do that. I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, and it fits really well with what we're teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, Things about David and him being a warrior and wielding the sword well. And we're taking some of those principles. Those principles are in a book about spiritual warfare. It's called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, a revealing look at God's armor. I've written this in a devotional style to help you uh, have a daily dress routine to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to put on the spiritual armor of God, and to know that God has custom-designed armor for you to deal with the daily temptations we all face. It's there. We've got to learn to put it on. And a lot of Christians, you know, they hear about the armor of God. They go, oh, I know, I know, I know. You know, knowledge is one thing. Application is quite another. I would encourage you to get this book. It's a pretty short read, a little over 100 pages. And I think it's something that you'll want to revisit uh, these ideas uh, quite often. Because I think they're just kind of the basic uh, stuff where we either win or we fall in the Christian life. It's called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God for any donation amount the ongoing ministry of Living Truth Radio. Here's how you can get the book and help us out. Go to livingtruthradio.org. In the uh, contact form, just let us know that you want a copy of Pastor Michael's book, Suit Up. We'll get it out to you. Please uh, go ahead and give any donation amount that you can, and we'll get the book in your hands. You can donate by clicking on the donate button next to my picture. Just make sure when you get to the PayPal, you indicate it's for radio ministry. We deeply appreciate your prayers and your support, and that you tell a friend about this radio program. If it's been a blessing to you, share it with others. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, Go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.